I'm Ryan. And I'm Nick. And you're listening to Going Offsides, presented by the Lacrosse Collective on the Lacrosse All-Stars Podcast Network. Hey, Coach, how are you? Gentlemen, how you doing? Doing good. How about yourself? Good. I apologize. I was running a few minutes late. Oh, no, no worries. No worries. worries. Thank you so much for being on with us. Absolutely. How you guys doing? We're doing. I'm just we're <laughs> battling, battling through COVID, just trying to trying to keep our days busy without lacrosse. Absolutely. How's yeah, that yeah, yeah, we're both teachers, so we're just trying to yeah. keep things going. I mean, he's he's in person mostly. I'm online mostly. He's in Indiana. I'm in Michigan. So okay, very very different circumstances. But uh, yeah, how's it going for you? How how are things at Endicott? Good. Yeah, things are going well. Fall teams are up and rolling. You know, they're not playing competition, uh, but they're practicing and. Winter sports just got going, and spring sports non-traditional have been going for some time now as well. Yeah, it's okay. got to keep got to keep fingers crossed, right? I mean, I my uh, my former assistant is the head coach at New Paltz, so okay. he's starting he the program there. Yeah, and uh, he, he I was talking to him yesterday, and he was telling me he like just got all he was supposed to have an all staff um, meeting. And then they canceled it because they had to handle everything with all the winter with the winter sports because the Sunnis just dropped. They, they, they're yeah. not doing winter sports, so it's yeah, it's crazy. I are, are all systems go right now for for your conference at Endicott for the for the spring? For the for right now for the winter and spring we are, but okay, who knows it, it changes day by day. Exactly. It certainly does. So speaking of that, Coach, why don't we jump right in? Obviously, it's a pleasure to have you, and we're looking forward to talking to you. Um, the MLL bubble this year, you know, we're talking about COVID and everything that, that goes with it. So what was it like coaching in a bubble, having your team pretty much, you know, more often than you would ever have that much time with, with, with a group of players like that? Uh, typically, the MLL, you don't get to spend 24, 48 hours with the guys in a row. Uh, have them in a hotel just all to yourself. So what was that like this year compared to years previous? Yeah, you, you know, it was uh, like everything has been, it was a waiting game, right? You know, we were anticipating a, a traditional 10 game, one game a week season, two training camps prior to that. And as things progressed, um, you know, we waited and the league had talked about maybe dropping it to a five game regular season or eight game regular season, still traveling from city to city. And then ultimately the league and the commissioner made the decision to have a bubble season, which, you know, hindsight 2020 um, was the right thing to do. And we've seen that with some other professional sports that, that have been successful with it um, as well. So, you know, being with the guys for 14 days uh, was terrific. You know, it really was great to just spend that amount of time with them and be able to prepare for each game with them and really be focused in on the task at hand. Uh, it, it was a challenge getting down there in the sense that we have a 40-man roster to bring into a traditional training camp, and we had to pick that 25-man roster 
based off our, of our gut and guys that we've had play for us and guys that we drafted and, and guys that we picked up, um, you know, along the way with, with trades and everything else. So we got to that 25 man roster. Um, it, it was a great group of guys and, uh, you know, really thankful for the opportunity that, that we had, you know, to even just play the game of lacrosse during these times. So to spend that quality time with them uh, for that amount of length of time was terrific. Right. And I I got the chance, you know, I was, I actually interviewed you after one of your games um, and I talked to a few MLL coaches and it seems not to knock any other program in the MLL, but it seems like the Cannons have a more distinct culture. And, and that's just something I've picked up on. Is that something that you do, you know, purposefully, are you working on culture, uh, you know, as, as a group? Is that something that re really you put a, you know, a priority on? Well, I, I appreciate you saying that and recognizing that it's uh, it's something honestly probably that we work most diligently and hardest on. You know, in this league, the time is limited with these uh, gentlemen, and the most amount of work that goes into everything we do is, is one drafting and selecting players that we feel are going to be a good fit for the organization and are certainly talented lacrosse players and exceptional uh, men. So we do, we spend a lot of time on leadership development, developing that culture. Uh, this was my fifth season with the Cannons and it's taken some time to do that, certainly um, at this level. And I believe that, you know, along with the coaching staff and the front office, it's something that's been a real priority of ours and the players have certainly bought into the type of culture that we do have. Fantastic. Now, a lot of people might not know, you know, you used to be a D3 head coach and a very successful one, but you still work at Endicott and is your role kind of, you know, forgive me if I'm oversimplifying it, but are you pretty much the coach's coach at this point? Are you helping the coaches <laughs> the develop their yeah. own leadership styles yeah. and, and, and stuff like that? The head coach is head coach. <laughs> um, one of my roles, a couple hats that I wear in the department is I oversee all the men's teams. Uh, I run the leadership development program for all of our captains uh, of all of our varsity 21 teams and club sports. And then for the emerging leaders, those freshmen and sophomores that coaches designate that could potentially be captains and leaders down the road. Um, so I'm really blessed that I've been at Endicott the last 24 years, uh, you know, 18 as a head coach and also associate athletic director. Um, so it's something that all myself and our administration and all of our coaches work close, closely with. Um, you know, we talked about it with the Cannons briefly there with culture. We talk about it literally every single day, every breath uh, in our department, that that's a big part of who we are there. So I do. I work closely with a terrific group of head coaches, assistant coaches and administrators in our department and student athletes. Was that something, you know, obviously, you know, you, you've been at Endicott for quite a while now when, when you first maybe took the job or a few years into it, did you see athletic administration as something you wanted to get into? Was it something that kind of just organically kind of presented itself? And then, I mean, it's a twofold question. I mean, I'm sure it was extremely difficult to kind of step away from the program that you, you spent a good portion of your life running. Um, how difficult, how much did that weigh into your decision when ultimately you kind of did transition into your, your current role? 
right? Um, great question. When I was hired at 23 years old as the head coach there and really taking over a program that was two years old, I also had the title of assistant dean of admissions. So that was my role for, I think it was 12 years, 13 years while I was there. And then I, I moved over to athletics, you know, more full time as the associate AD and head coach of the men's lacrosse program. I've always had aspirations of going into administration from the minute that I started coaching at Springfield College as an assistant coach and getting my master's there in athletic administration. It, it was, a, a you know, certainly a goal of mine to have when I got out of coaching. Um, you know, in 2015, when I stepped down as the head men's lacrosse coach at Endicott and moved just into athletic administration, it, it was an adjustment, certainly not having that direct contact with a team, a family, you know, men that I really considered every single one of them as sons, somebody that you recruit and mentor along the way throughout those four years. So that was a huge adjustment, honestly, when I stepped away from coaching. And I, I miss it every day still, to be honest with you, um, coaching at the college level. It, it's, it's a purpose. It, it's a passion that I have, certainly. Um, but that contact that I have with student athletes now it, it, with that leadership program is kind of where I, I get my fix um, and, and working with other coaches and seeing, you know, their successes and seeing their failures and adversity they had as well and, and trying to help them along as, um, you know, coaches as well. So I take a lot of pride in that um, and certainly passionate about it. But athletic administration is great. You know, we're, we're have going through tough times right now, and it's mm -hmm. testing us all, right, at, at every institution. Uh, but, again, when, when you're there, first and foremost, for the students and the student-athletes, that's what it's all about. Absolutely. And you – so you have a very unique perspective. Being in administration, you get to be a part of those conversations that maybe the coaches aren't always involved in. And so with – everything that's going on with, with COVID and the future of college sports, you know, what is kind of your take on, and maybe you don't have a hot take on this and that's fine, but where do you kind of see this all playing out? Do you think that it, it ends with athletics being a little bit more, I guess, responsible? Cause we did kind of get into this phase where it was spend, spend, spend and, and trying to keep up with every other university and having the newest facilities and, you know, travel budgets kind of grew and equipment budgets grew. And, and now maybe we're contracting a little bit and being a little bit more efficient with our funds, limiting travel a bit more. And, and where do you see this kind of all how this all plays out? Um, you know, I think the, the way I look at things as an administrator is I coach for a long time at the college level. So I always try to put on that coaching hat to a certain degree um, when making decisions with our administration team and athletics, but also really putting on that administrator's hat three quarters of the time as well and combining the two that I think, you know, during this time it has, it's made us reflect a lot on what we're doing, what we're spending on, what we did spend on, how we conduct business, how we do things. Um, you know, our student athletes are our lifeblood and recruiting is where that all begins and how we recruited it and places we went and funds that we spent to get there and 
you know, now coaches are, are really just watching film and doing things that way and going to some events. Um, but recruiting is, uh, is pretty much all virtual for the most part right now. And will that continue on once coaches can and are able to get back on the road? I think it's created a little bit more work-life balance for coaches, um, that they're not just chasing every tournament and every AAU game or high school game, um, but really balancing on what they can watch and, you know, getting those prospects. And you go right down the road with, with travel and uh, equipment and everything else. So it, it is a time of reflection um, that we're all going through, I believe, to, to see where we are and where we need to be come the future. Yeah, I'm not quite old enough to remember what college sports were like in the 90s, but from what I've heard, it, it, a lot of play, people that have been in the business for a long time are looking back and looking at it kind of like this is what it kind of was like, you know, a couple decades ago. It was a little bit less travel. It was a little bit less flashy, a little bit less equipment. And I, I completely understand what you mean from the work-life balance perspective. I mean, at least for head coaches, because they are able to, you know, do some recruiting from at home and spend less time just traveling to and from events. Um, I do, however, and Ryan chime in on this, I do think it's been an extra stressful time for the assistant coaches, especially those that are volunteer or, you know, second assistant that really rely on the camps, the clinics, the travel to, to kind of make ends meet. And so I'm hopeful that, I mean, I know you're running some stuff out in, in the Northeast and I'm hopeful that people are still, you know, going to events and stuff like that. But I, I am worried what this may do to this generation of assistant coaches where, you know, it's always been hard to be a volunteer assistant, but it's just become so much harder at this point. And so I'm afraid that a lot of coaches will get turned off at a much earlier age than maybe in the past. Well, I think it's it's like a throwback to, I mean, I, I can speak to when I, I got my first college coaching job. He kind of had to rough it and piece a lot of different things together. Coach, I can't speak for you from from your from your time at, at Springfield, but um, you know, for a really long time, you know, coaches in the you know, the eighties, nineties, and even in the early two thousands before there was kind of this boom, you know, you had to piece a couple of different things together. You had guys that were teaching during the day and then you know, leaving school and then going to coach college in the afternoon. I mean, I think back to my time at Adelphi, we didn't have any full-time assistants. They were all, um, I mean, even coach Capitos, he was, you know, he was part-time until, you know, I think when my freshman year up until that point, but yeah, so it's, um, I think you're, it's like you said before, it's going back to kind of like those times in the, in the eighties and nineties and early two thousands. So it's a, uh, it's a crazy time for sure. Yeah, I think ultimately it comes down to the head coaches trying to, you know, understanding that this is what's going on and this is this is the new reality in a, in a way because even when things normalize, you know, those budgets and that that money coming back is probably going to be slower to trickle back in and they need to be extra careful and extra understanding of what a life looks like for a volunteer assistant. Maybe they do have a full-time job and practice has to be in the evening or else they're not going to have a volunteer assistant at all. Mm -hmm. So I, I just, it, I find it very interesting where, where this takes us. And I really hope that for, for everyone's sake, that we don't lose a good generation of coaches because so many great coaches got their starts as volunteers. Coach, I would be a little bit remiss. I had to, I have to ask you about this. Okay. All right. Um, and this is just my personal opinion. I think, I think Springfield has 
um, taken over in terms of the cradle of coaches. Um, you know, years ago, I mean, we talk about Cortland State back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. You're part of the Springfield Mafia. Can you elaborate a little bit on what that might mean for some of our listeners who might not know what the Springfield Mafia is? Like me from the Midwest, who's only 30. Yeah. Like, I know Keith Bugby, and that's it. Like, that's all I know. Oh, he's got a pretty big coaching tree. <laughs> well, it, it's ironic. It, it's funny. It, it's uh, it, it's a great question. And the reason I was running late a little bit was uh, I was on the phone with Coach Bugby driving home from work today. And I, I speak to Coach probably, no exaggeration, three, four, five times a week. Um, whether it's on the way into work at lunchtime, on the way home from work, whenever it is. So he is really the Don of the Springfield mafia. And, uh, there's a lot of institutions that that have put out a a lot of great coaches at, at all levels. Um, and to coach Bugby's credit, one of the reasons I got into coaching was when I was looking at colleges, uh, I looked at a number and my high school coach was a Springfield guy, Paul Adams. Uh, I kind of thought I maybe wanted to get into coaching in high school. And then when I got to Springfield and played under coach, you know, two years in really, and I started working his camps, you, you talk about these assistant coaches, you know, working camps and volunteers. I started doing that at a young age when I was a sophomore at Springfield. And I knew right then and there, if that's what I could do and and make a living out of it, I I wouldn't work a day in my life. And so many of us at at Springfield feel that way. And I I can literally speak for all those guys that coach and that played under Coach Bugby and even the GAs that maybe didn't play for him, but worked under him, that you saw his passion and how he mentored um, young men and his knowledge of the game and his love for his players. And I think that's honestly why we do it um, is because of that reason. And it's nothing complicated, really, that so many of us got into it for our love of the game partially, but to be those teachers in the game of lacrosse, but more importantly, in the game of life. And we always talk about that. We're, um, we have, a, to put it in perspective, we have a, a, a group of us, maybe seven, eight, Springfield alums that are working with the athletic director and the president right now at Springfield College, they're going to be donating, um, raising money and building a pavilion for Coach Bugby at Springfield. Um, And the reason we're doing this is to continue on the legacy of his late daughter, Lindsay, who passed away several years ago um, after giving birth to her, her son, Nolan. And um, you see those Springfield alums on that call and there's some high school coaches, there's some division one coaches, uh, there's some club coaches. We're all in coaching at some level, but we all do it for the same reason. And, uh, you know, it, it's great to, you know, go out on the road and you're always going to run into a Springfield face and, um, that sort of thing. So it, it is, you know, I'm proud of it. I'm humbled to be a part of that group and, I'm really glad you asked that question because it's uh, it's reason, you know, number one, I got into coaching was Coach Bugby. 
Yeah, I know it's always, um, you know, it's it's good to obviously, you know, have you talk about it because it's just, you know, th there's so many pockets of Springfield alumni, you know, like you said, it in all levels of lacrosse. It's just it's it's kind of really neat to see. I mean, I know over the last couple of years, you've seen more and more publications put out stuff um, about just kind of how far that reach is. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, it's uh, sounds like a pretty special place. I actually my sophomore year of college, I think. My assistant was at Springfield. I think it might have been the year you were an assistant. His name is Tim O'Meara. Oh, yeah. 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 He was my Absolutely. assistant coach at Adelphi. Yeah. Well, so. we, we can tell some stories uh, offline here. <laughs> yeah. Coach O'Meara, he, he was my first year as a GA there. He was yep. my roommate. and uh, Or I was his roommate. I'm, I'm not sure which one. But, uh, you know, in Adelphi, when we were Division Two. We were Division Three when I went to Springfield, and then mm. we were Division Two for a, a number of years. <clears throat> Excuse me. We um, we we lost to Adelphi my senior year. We went thirteen and zero mm. Adelphi in the regular season, and then we hosted the national title, and we lost twelve to ten. During COVID, is the first time in whatever it is twenty five years or so that I watched that game, and I watched it. <laughs> so. You'll, you'll love this. So I guess the face-off guy at Adelphi that year. So that year you guys lost in the championship. So that was Matt Schomburg. He's the guy who runs Fogo Lacks. Oh, yeah. he was a, I guess he was a freshman or a sophomore that year or whatever. He left Adelphi after that year, after, after they won, and then didn't show up back into the States until my freshman year, which was almost 10, which I think was close to 10 years later. And I was like an 18-year-old freshman and he was like a 32-year-old junior. Right. So it's, it, it's just wild. Adelphi was a fun place, but I remember that like, you know, we would walk into the locker room and there'd be pictures of that national championship game. That's wild. Um, moving kind of in that same direction. If, if coach Bugby is, let's assume that he's the biggest coaching coaching influence on you thus far, who would you say are some of your other influences in coaching? You know, certainly Coach Bugby, um, Coach Adams, my, my high school coach, you know, who uh, I mentioned as well. Uh, the late Paul Schmoller, who uh, was a four-time All-American goalie at Cornell. He worked peak goalie camp, which I now have been running and owning for the past uh, 25 years or, or so. Paul was uh, somebody that was an idol to me that, that I tried to emulate my game after. And that idol kind of turned into a, a, somebody uh, that was a mentor to me at the goalie position and then turned into a, a dear friend. Um, so Paul is somebody always that I think about. Um, and I use so much of what I do in coaching surrounded by him. Uh, every single one of my assistant coaches that I've had over the past 25 years, whether it be at Endicott or, or with the Cannons, I've always learned a, a great deal from, from those coaches um, about the game and, and about life. Um, so those are certainly people that, you know, I, I tremendously respect it and always look up to still. That's fantastic. Going to, let's go to the shift a little bit to the Cannons here. This past season, obviously, you got the result you wanted ultimately, uh, w winning the championship. You, you get to celebrate kind of – I've seen pictures recently of you guys having the trophy at different restaurants for people to come and see and, and kind of celebrate. 
who kind of surprised you the most as a player this year? Because I know, like you said, you had to you had to kind of assemble this team without knowing everything about every person like you would in the past. And you, you definitely had to take some chances when assembling this roster, you know, taking some of your draft picks that are unproven at the pro level and as opposed to guys that you knew could probably play, but they might not have as high of a ceiling. So who are some of the guys that kind of surprised you? You know, some of those guys maybe you brought in at the last second and, and, and can you kind of speak to what they brought to the tournament? Definitely. Uh, you know, I, I think w- when you go into it with, with 25 guys and you select those, um, at the best will that you can and you get into this bubble and you know, you're going to play a minimum of of five games in eight days. And then a couple playoff games, if you're fortunate enough to make it there, uh, it's a grind physically on these guys. And certainly mentally, the the temperatures were anywhere from 90 to 125 degrees at game time each day. Um, you know, practices that we had were hot and grueling and we tried to be smart with those practices and getting done what we needed to do in, in a fairly short and efficient amount of time. Um, and then, like I said, game day was physically and mentally taxing. So every one of those guys put it out on the line, man. You know, just by showing up um, under these conditions of COVID, my hat's off to them for just showing up. And then once you get into it, their recovery after games, they took care of themselves. Uh, they, again, mentally and physically prepared for that next ga- day and next battle. Um, when we finished our, our regular season and we were seated to go into the tournament, we did have five players that opted out uh, because of health concerns, and that's been out there. And we really put it in the hands of every single guy, every single coach, on our roster to make that decision and whatever decision that was, um, we respected it and we trusted it and we had no issue with it. So when we went into the, the playoffs, um, you know, we were down five guys, so we were going to be tested even that much more. So after a long week and a half or so playing five guys down, Um, I hate to single out names because every one of them is more than capable of doing their job and accomplishing the mission that we had to win the championship. A guy who's been in our organization uh, for five years since I got there, Division III player John Upgren, uh, he's had a steady role on our team, um, has never had all the glory. He was Division III player of the year and won a couple national titles at Tough. And he's had some big plays and big moments and uh, has been a huge part of the organization the last five years. He was lights out. He had five goals in the championship game, uh, kind of in that underdog role that he always takes. So he's one guy that that really stepped up and not necessarily surprised us as a coaching staff, but he stepped up tremendously. Um, you know, Kevin Reisman at the faceoff X, his backup, Nate Farrell, who, who's exceptional as well as a great one-two punch. Uh, Kevin just battled, uh, you know, his way to, to winning some key face-offs. Our entire defensive unit played tremendous in front of Nick Morocco, uh, our goalie, who, who was exceptional uh, all week, particularly in the, the championship game, 
making saves against John Grant Jr. that honestly consecutive saves he was making against him. I've never seen a goalie do that against Jr. And he's one of the most respected players of all time. Um, our midfielders, you know, particularly in that championship game, we were down a few and guys would just come off the field gassed. They were just gassed um, and get out there and play the next shift. Guys like Kyle Jackson and Challen Rogers and Cal Durth and, uh, you know, the list can go on. And our attack unit really stepped up, as I mentioned, um, to, to perform really well um, during during the whole week. So it, it was a team effort while we were mm-hmm. down there. Um, but certainly a few guys there that, that stepped up, you know, that, that needed to because we were down uh, five players going into that championship game. Yeah, and and you brought up a couple names for for sure that I want to dive into a little bit deeper. So, uh, I know Kyle Jackson from a, from a long time ago at, when he was at Michigan, and I think in one of my post game interviews with him, he mentioned that a lot of the guys on your team had played together at some point at the Hill Academy, or they overlapped at the Hill Academy, and you you, you threw out a bunch of names that you know you've got. Stats and and Rogers and Jackson, they all play in the NLL. Do you feel like that's by design? Do you have in your offense or within the schemes that you try to implement this need or this this fit for a box player or someone with a box skill set? Uh, a little bit. I, I think there's a lot of balance that goes into it. I think if you have you know six box guys out there at one time they're potentially going to be running into one another and all doing the same skill set. Right. So I, I think we try to have some balance out there, but you, you bring up the Hill and, um, you know, Stotts and Cole and Jack, uh, Challen Rogers and those guys, uh, Gilray, who is a long stick midfielder for us, you know, that plays box across. So, um, you know, certainly then you add in a Bryce Wasserman who, who's, doesn't play box. It isn't Canadian or Native American. So, uh, you know, doesn't play quite that same skill set. Um, so it is definitely a balance and a mixture. And the guys, I think, really appreciate that, you know, playing off each other and playing off each other's skill sets and things of that nature. Definitely. And, and obviously, unlike maybe some other people, you have had a bunch of guys that play box but also have tremendous amount of field experience where that's not always the case you know all those guys having played at the hill they obviously played field Um, a couple of guys played collegiate field as well and I feel like sometimes you know you try to make that transition to field lacrosse without a lot of experience and and like you said it doesn't always translate perfectly but you definitely you certainly found that balance with with your especially with your attack line and I, I noticed you moved your a few guys through the attack line throughout the week, which I'm sure was out of a need for, for some depth and some, some rest. It looked like you moved a few guys through midfield and, and maybe they, you know, they were resting at attack for a little bit before they, they came off the field finally for some water. So uh, hats off to you for the creativity because it certainly paid off in the end, but uh, you know, it must be exciting to, to get this kind of talent. Like it's every coach's dream to have a couple, just even one of those guys. So, uh, I'm sure it's it's tremendously exciting on a daily basis for you. It is, you know, and they work so hard off season to to get to that point where they need to compete and uh, 
you know, I think the familiarity of having a lot of those players back from last year helped us in this setting this year. Um, but we did, you know, we try to get not as many guys as we can that can play attack and midfield, but, you know, John Upgren's a great example of that. He's, uh, he, he played both consistently in, in college, you know, Kyle Jackson obviously was an attackman at, at Michigan and we run him play primarily out of the box. Um, you know, so he's able to get more short sticks and create and do what he does. Um, so you, you try to make those combinations work as much as you can, but the effort and the work that these guys put in is tremendous. And I know I don't know if you can divulge this or not, but ha has Bryce Wasserman decided if he's going to try and play again next year? I mean, he's he's got to be done with law school pretty soon here, right? Or is he already done? He is. Uh, he's still. I think he's got one more year left of law school. Okay. Uh, but by all purposes, Bryce is going to be back. Fantastic. I was a little worried. I mean, not that you couldn't find, you know, you, you would eventually find a replacement, but it's, it's definitely nice. He kind of, he had bounced around a little bit in the league and he found a nice landing spot. And I think he's a perfect complimentary player for, for your system and, and for your roster. So I'm glad to hear that he'll be back. Definitely. So I, I have to ask you, you win the championship, you get out of the bubble and I'm sure the first thing is, you know, family and all that good stuff. What's the first meal you you picked up when you got <laughs> out of the bubble? What was what was the place you had to go to now, now that you weren't in quarantine anymore? I'm trying to think that the food was excellent. You know, okay. hotel, they had all the food catered in for us. Uh, after we won the, the championship, the front office got us uh, fillets and Ooh. crab cakes and <laughs> all good food. So we didn't eat poorly that week at all. I'll tell you that. Um, trying to think, you, you know, we stayed over that Sunday night and, and celebrated with, with the guys and got in the car, you know, midday on, on Monday. And I think I might've stopped at McDonald's. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Hey, sometimes it's the best stuff and just hoof at home. Um, but then had a, a great home cooked meal at home with my family and got to spend a lot of time with them. Yeah. Probably by that time you were just ready to get home, you know, two weeks away from home. To sleep in your own bed for a change. Yeah, exactly. Well, a question we've been asking everybody, you know, you've had plenty of years on the recruiting circuit. So what's the, you know, I, I remember I went to a camp at UMBC to coach and, you know, we obviously, we, we got, we got crab cakes somewhere, but uh, what, what's the one spot, you know, the favorite spot to go, you know, you always look forward to going to this camp or this tournament or playing in this city because of a certain, a certain place to eat. What, what's that one spot for you coach? It's it's such an easy answer. Um, <laughs> Love it. So you know, I grew up in Cheshire, Connecticut, which is okay. about twenty minutes from New Haven, Connecticut, and uh, my kids both play club lacrosse. So you're driving from Boston, you got to go through Connecticut, you know, to get to New York, New Jersey, Maryland. So we'd always stop off at Archie Moore's in New Haven, Connecticut. Yep. The best buffalo wings you've had them. Yep, yep, I've had them. Best I've had them. Best so my son was playing in a tournament, I don't know, a month or so ago in, in Maryland, and we stopped down at Archie's. We got about 50 wings, got them in the car, crushed them on the way down to Maryland. Yep. And uh, I think we did the same thing on the way back. So no. <laughs> um, yeah, he's, he's got me missing home a little bit. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was the same thing for us. Whenever we, when I was at Detroit, we played Canisius. And even when I was at, uh, I was at Oberlin and we played Vassar, 
And we always went to the anchor bar in Buffalo. Like, yeah, you had to go to the anchor bar in Buffalo. We had a kid break his leg in the middle of the game, and the coach had to go to the hospital with him. But the only question that we had was, does this mean we don't get to go to the anchor bar? Because, like, that's the only thing that we cared about. We, we weren't a very good team back then. So all we really cared about was the food. But, no, that's fantastic. You can't go wrong with a good wing. Especially from that place. That place is fantastic. Right. Yeah. Oh, man. All right, Coach. So, so obviously, as, as the director of player personnel for the Cannons, you have to have your, you know, you have to have your finger on the pulse of college lacrosse. So who are some of the the D1 guys, D2 guys even, you know, the MLL is known for picking those gems out of D2. So who are the, some of the guys that you're – I'm not saying you're going to draft or anything like that, but some of the guys that you're definitely looking forward to seeing play this season. Yeah. Um, you know, really excited to just get back and watch an all-college lacrosse, right? It, right. it was a, a tough spring for everyone. When we had the college draft at the end of last year, we, we didn't know exactly who was going to go back and who was going to come out. So we drafted um, Sowers and Teat last year. Um, you know, so hopeful that those guys play this spring and and then join the Cannons uh, when their college seasons are over. And that's something now that we're really starting to compile, uh, you know, talking to a lot of college coaches, all divisions, one, two, and three of who those guys are uh, that, that could be a good fit for Boston. So we're honestly, we're really just starting to dive into it now. Um, but there's always those gems, right. Of maybe the mid major or, or division one team, the mid major division one teams um, that just become stars in the MLL. Bryce Wasserman's a great right. example of that. Yeah. Um, you know, the Upgrins playing at uh at Tufts, Q playing at, at Tampa, who plays for Chesapeake. So yeah, Reisman, another D2 yeah. guy, right? Um, and you almost start to forget who's a D1, D2, D3 yeah. guy on your roster um, because there's there's such a fine line of, of uh, not who's better, but, you know, talent and, and that sort of thing. There's so many great players playing at all levels. So we'll really start to dive into that in the next month or so uh, with college coaches as well. Yeah, it's an interesting time. I mean, you know, it's with, with everything going on with COVID too, it's, you know, there's such a, a limited resource of film too, to, to even do your homework from last year to this year. So it's uh, I don't, I don't envy your job, but I mean, like you said, I think for all of us, it's just, we're excited to finally actually sit back and actually watch some games. Definitely. Yeah, and and there's definitely that that feeling of D1 or bust sometimes in recruiting, and and you just made a great point of all these guys that didn't necessarily play high 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 level D1, or maybe they didn't play D1 at all, and and here they are still playing. And Ryan and I, we we've talked about it several times. There are guys that could go play on a D1 roster, but why would they want to sit at the end of a bench in the D1 when they can, you know, sometimes com- depending on the school, get, get a great education or get a better education and be a stud. And so Upgren's a great example of that. You know, Sure, we all know now that Upgren could have went and played on many D1 rosters, if not all of them, but he got a great education at Tufts. He played in the NESCAC. He, he, he won a lot of games, so I'm sure he doesn't regret his decision at all. So uh, it, it's great that you bring that up because we're definitely going to be tackling an episode soon in the in the upcoming weeks about 
the D one or bust attitude that a lot of these recruits have. And there are so many great options in lacrosse outside of D one. So we definitely want to shine some light on those. Definitely. I'm so good. let's, let's pivot to uh, a big part that I, I did not want to forget. So coach, what led to your newest project peak pro sports? So thanks for asking, you know, a year and a half or so ago, uh, was really looking at, at designing and manufacturing a shaft for, for goalie specifically and um, looked at a lot of different things and, you know, a lot of what's out there in the marketplace now. And long story short, produced a 32-inch uh, one carbon, two, a carbon composite, and then three, an alloy shaft for goalies and got those prototypes and um, – Nick Morocco, our, our goalie for the Cannons, who, you know, has a great business mind and played at Georgetown. Uh, I had conversations with him about a lot of a type of equipment and apparel and that sort of thing since his time here in Boston. And once we got those prototypes, I showed those to Nick and he's like, can I use this this season? Um, that was the first thing he said. He loved the way it feels felt love the uh the strength of it the durability of it the style of it and um said sure you, you know we're gonna have some manufactured and that's where it really started and more and more of of the pro players started to see the shaft uh all three the carbon the carbon composite and the alloy and we ended up signing six players to use that shaft and wear the peak pro uh, apparel this season um, so it really started just with a goalie shaft and then we got into an apparel line and then shafts for attackmen, midfielders, faceoff guys and defensemen. And that's where we are right now. Um, the, the reception has been tremendous from the lacrosse community. Uh, I think a, a big part of starting this is to have a product out in the marketplace that, like I said, is very stylish, is durable is is sturdy it is flashy uh that all players at all levels are going to love and to have it be at a price point where people can afford it right. there's so many products in every sporting industry that just people can't afford and i think we we've we've come up with, with products that, that are tremendous and that people the the affordability is there for them we are in the works of designing other products uh currently as well for lacrosse that will be released you know in the winter in the springtime but before the lacrosse season begins as well so we're really excited about the opportunity to to be in that marketplace um and we certainly feel that there's a, a great need for it out there um the competition's tremendous right like anything else mm -hmm. any other business um but but i think we we believe in our product our, our pro players that use it love it. Um, so we're off to do great things. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned, you know, you want to make it affordable because I was speaking with another, you know, manufacturer just yesterday and they were afraid that because they're doing somewhat what you're doing, they're trying to make it affordable by having lower margins. And I think a lot of these companies that we're used to using in the past, you know, the big names that the, the sticks just cost outrageous amounts because they can, and people tend to, because they don't know these newer products like yours, they tend to think, well, it's cheaper, so it's got to be you know, less durable. There's got to be something wrong with that. And in reality, 
you're not paying sales reps, you're not paying huge exorbitant marketing fees. So your margins are lower. So you can offer the same value, if not higher value at a lower price because your numbers aren't inflated. So I just want to make that very clear to people that price does not you know, necessarily mean quality when it comes to this stuff. There, there's so many other factors. And so I, I applaud you for trying to make it more accessible and, and more available to, to people to enter the game. Well, thank you for that. I, it's much appreciated. And uh, yeah, he, you know, there, there's a lot of things out there, like you said, and that, that's it, right? You know, if our pro players, you know, Dylan Malloy's not using that product, but he, uh, he, he loves it. Uh, Reisman is a guy who, who uses it. Uh, Dan Baccaro, who, who's a rising star in the MLL, he had a terrific tournament with Denver, um, you know, in the bubble season. And so we're, we're looking forward to getting it out there in more players' hands and that sort of thing. Yeah, and we look forward to seeing it grow. Uh, for those of you listening at home, we are definitely excited about Peak Pro Sports and everything that they have to offer. And we want to make sure that you head over to our channel and participate in the giveaway because Coach has been gracious enough to, to hook us up with a few pieces. So we want to make sure that you participate in that. And, uh, you know, check out the the Instagram to, to participate in that. Make sure you tag Peak Pro Sports and we'll, we'll leave all the info uh, on our socials as well to, to get you involved and get you some free stuff. Coach, it's been so great talking with you about the MLL, about college lacrosse and, and about your newest projects. And uh, I, we look forward to your future success as a, not only as an administrator, as a coach, but also as, as a businessman, as you take on this new endeavor. Nicholas and Ryan, thank you. This has been really enjoyable. Great catching up with you guys. Uh, great questions, very thoughtful. And you guys are doing great things on your podcast. So appreciate it. you really thank you so much. Congrats again on all the success from, from the bubble. Thank you, gentlemen.